Well, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to the book of Ruth as we continue to look through uh, this book, as we continue to keep this kind of bird's eye view as to what's uh, going on here in Ruth and how it encourages us um, this Advent season. I'm going to uh, read from Ruth chapter 3 this morning. Uh, it's mostly going to be based on the New Living Translation, but once again, I have decided to add a couple of a um, couple of my own flourishes to help you capture uh, the sense of, of one again, once again what's going on here. As as the, the the writer here of this book is is being extremely provocative. Uh, and sometimes that's hard for us to pick up on living so, so such a, a long time removed um, from when this was written, how it was written. Um, and so I want to try to catch some of that for you um, as we look through here. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to read from a couple of places in, in chapter 1 and chapter 2 before I jump into chapter 3. So just listen uh, listen as I read, as the Lord speaks to us through his word this morning. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty sent such tragedy upon me? Now, Boaz was a man who was in the line of Elimelech, Naomi's husband. And Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother in your own land to live here, among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Now one day, Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now, do as I tell you. Take a bath. And put on some perfume and dress and your richest or your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but 
Don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. So Boaz ate, and he drank, and his heart was happy. And he came to lie down at the end of the mound of grain and went to sleep. Well, then Ruth snuck up on him. She uncovered his feet and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz shivered and then suddenly woke up and turned over. And surprise, a woman was laying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am her servant Ruth, she replied. Spread the wings of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you, very well. Let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. Boaz said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, what, what happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. And she added, he gave me these six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the way that you care for us as your people, the way that you have spread your wings over us, providing us protection, but also providing us the nourishment we need to continue to walk in the shelter of your wings. And not to chase after your blessings in other places, but instead to, in, to enjoy those blessings you have given us so that through them we might enjoy you. And so speak to us once again and dazzle us once again with just how amazing it is that we who have nothing within ourselves to qualify us to hear from you 
yet get to hear the sweet words of our Lord once again. Fill us with yourself through them. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I remember when I was, I think it was around third grade, which made my sister fifth grade. The first time that she um, was going was gonna to call a boy in her class. And my mom would have nothing to do with that. Young ladies don't call boys. That's too forward. Well, my mom and Naomi were not on the same page at all. <laughs> not at all. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to be careful today with how I present this because this... This is like if you have ever read or watched Pride and Prejudice and the mother who is just so fraught with fear because of what's going to happen with her daughters. They haven't, they haven't married yet. They don't have family yet. And the worst thing possible uh, is that their cousin may inherit the land and kick them out of the house and the whole thing, right? There's this whole tragedy potential tragedy unfolding there. And the mother not only is often shown as, as crying or weeping or in emotional hysteria, but she is often shown being extremely calculating of what can I do, what can I say, how can I position one of my daughters and then say something to try to force something to happen. Mr. Bingley, do you not remember that you promised to throw a ball? You, you haven't done it yet. <laughs> oh. What Naomi is doing here in chapter 3 is she is taking matters into her own hands to try to help her daughter-in-law. Now, what was Ruth to do on her own? Right, take out an ad, young Moabite widow, looking for kind gentlemen that will uh, take care of me. I like long walks along the, the wheat. I like to thresh, and, and I'm a hard worker. I mean, what is she supposed to do? Take out an ad? She, she's already gotten his attention, but apparently weeks have passed by, and there's been no further contact. What is she supposed to do? What is Naomi supposed to do? Now, now, what could be really easy right here for us is to take a Victorian perspective and say, well, if she really trusted the Lord, she would just sit back and wait. But one of the things that we've been seeing in the book of Ruth is this, the way that prayers that are offered are connected with actions that are taken. We have seen this, uh, especially last, last week, with regards to Boaz. What is happening here in chapter 3 is that several prayer blessings that have been prayed in chapter 1 and in chapter 2 are now coming together in chapter 3. Naomi had prayed that her daughters-in-law, 
who were now widows would go and find new husbands, that they would find new homes, that they would get a fresh start in life. Now, uh, Ruth has clung to her and put herself in jeopardy of experiencing that. And so Naomi, acting upon this, this new information about who Boaz is, the character that he has, the actions he has taken, she decides that Boaz fits everything that we need. He is in the line of my husband, which means he is in the line of my son, which means he's in the line of, of, of Ruth's husband. He is in our line. He has money. He is kind. He is godly. He, he, he seems to be willing uh, to go above and beyond with his compassion uh, and with his benevolence. And, and so she sits back and she's like, I need to maybe stoke the fire a little bit. And so what she does is she puts together a plan to force a second interaction. Now, here's where it gets unclear. Now, before we get there, there is nothing wrong with having prayed for something, seen God answer it in a, in a certain way, and to then participate in seeing if, if there is more answer to come. And act, actually waiting for God's response to the prayer, not by just kicking back and doing nothing, but taking actions that are consistent with what has been prayed for, what has begun to be answered. So often you and I want to separate those things, and we think godliness is praying the Lord to do something and then kicking back on our spiritual lazy boys, waiting to see what he's going to do. Whether it's Naomi, whether it is Ruth, whether it is Boaz, all three of them have participated in this idea of praying for the Lord to do something for someone else and then engaging in the kinds of activities that will help bring that to pass. Naomi is doing that here now with Ruth. And so she sets up this second encounter. But the wisdom here is questionable at best. You see, there's a whole lot going on here that could turn things sideways very quickly. She is a foreigner as we have heard multiple times. And she's not just any foreigner. She is from Moab. Now, I'm sure ever since the very beginning of this series, every time I've said Moab, you have thought to yourself about Lot and his daughters. You see, Moab, the, that, that nation group that is sitting to the east of Israel, they are a people group who came from a boy named Moab. Moab was the son that was the result of his older daughter who was scared about her future, who, decide, who, des, who, who determined to secure her future 
by doing something horrible. And I'm not going to say it right now here. If you don't know what that is, ask me later. But his daughter trying to secure her own future, she went after the, 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 the seed that she needed. And she got a seed named Boaz, um, named, named Moab. So you have a very tricky situation here. Because once again, what is in front of Naomi and Ruth is an insecure future. And when, when Naomi asks her question, shouldn't I help establish a new home for my daughter-in-law, what, what she is saying is, it's really up to me to try to help you secure your future. And it's up to me to try to help secure the line of my husband. It's up to me to try to secure the line of my son, Malan. And the question is, how is she going to go about this? Within the history of Ruth's people, there is evidence that they came into existence by someone securing their future through a very horrific means. We also know, by the way, that one of the roles that the Moabite people played in the history of Israel was in uh, enticing uh, men uh, into um, religious prostitution that led to God's judgment and God coming and condemning and, and, and uh, killing a number of Israelite men because they were whoring after these other women and by nature of that, whoring after foreign gods. So as you start to see the details here unfold of this plan, if you're an Israelite who remembers your history and you're reading through this, you're starting to uh-oh, you're starting to grab hold of certain things tightly and you're, you're like, oh gosh, what's coming? But not just with regards to Ruth, by the way. I mean, do you, do you, have you seen the overlap here with Judah and Tamar? Tamar, uh, a widow who needed the family redeemer to step up and to do what he is supposed to do in order to secure not only her future, but also to secure the line of her, her dead husband. And the brother doesn't do it. And if you don't remember why, you can read about that later. But he doesn't do it. And the dad says, look, my younger son, he'll do it, but only after he gets to the right age. Well, then she finds out, once he's that age, that the father, Judah, is not following through on his promise. And so she takes matters into her own hands. You can read about that later. But you see, there's this pattern. What's going to happen with this young Moabite widow in trying to secure her future 
Is she going to prostitute her way into securing what she needs? And so what does Naomi decide to do? Well, let me set my daughter-in-law up to be confused as a prostitute. This plan that she puts together is it's well-intended, but it's crazy in its execution. Here's what I want you to do. Tonight... Once all the guys have finished working and they've eaten and, they, and, they're, and they, they've been drinking and they're relaxed and they're happy, right? What you do is you, you take a bath, you put on perfume, put on some nice clothes, and then you lurk on the outer edge and you wait for Boaz to get to that point where he has had his fill and he now goes and lies down for the evening. Does that sound familiar? And when he does, then go. And we're not sure if he would have had like a tent or if he would have had like a flat covering. But the idea is, as he is there to try to help provide protection for his, for his prophet, right? As he's there, that he would be in some type of shelter. And, and what Naomi says is, go in. And then when you get in there, Take the, the flap of, of his covering and pull it off of his legs. All right. Now, in terms of the, the scholars, there's a lot of ambiguity here as to exactly what this means. And there's all kinds of speculation across the board. What we know for sure, however, is that the way the writer describes this is that literally in the Hebrew is that she takes the wings of his covering and and removes it. Now, does that does that phrase ring a bell? From his blessing of her and his prayer for Yahweh to to bless Ruth back in chapter 2 with provision and protection finding it under the wings of God's shelter. The writer is setting us up for this. And the point is that the guy who prayed for her to find security under the wings of Yahweh, she is seeking that security, the security of Yahweh, through this man, Boaz. And so the text says that she snuck up, right? I love how the English translations like to kind of you know, make it sound all formal and biblical. She approached him quietly. Yeah, yeah, come on. She snuck up. So she snuck up to him, right? She un- uncovered his legs, and then she laid down, and she's like, all right, what's going to happen? And if you remember, what Naomi said was, look, you go that far, and then Boaz will take the next move, and he'll tell you what's going to happen. And, and the way that she words it, it's like her saying, it's in God's hands at that point. Now, look, there are three possibilities here. Two of them are really bad. He could mistake her, as we've said, for what often would happen at the threshing floor uh, at different times of night. In fact, if you look in Hosea, when God is chastising Israel uh, for whoring after the other gods, he says, you're like the prostitutes at the threshing floor. So there was this pattern there, and she is very, Naomi's putting her in a position to be mistaken for that. 
And that is horrible for her, for, for Ruth specifically, not only given her history, not only given Israel's history, not only given Israel's struggle at the time during the judges when everyone did what was right in their own eyes, she's being set up potentially to be put in harm's way. The other thing is, what could happen here is that Boaz could be offended by how forward she is. Notice, by the way, here, and I'm not saying this is a pattern for how we should be doing things, but if you notice here, um, who proposes? (laughs) She does. (laughs) She basically says, you are the family redeemer, and so marry me. That that can kill the deal right there. I mean, who is she to do that? She's a foreigner, right? But thankfully, because Boaz is a man of character, as we learned about last chapter, Thankfully, because Boaz considers her to be part of the covenant community, as we learned last week in the last chapter, he responds to her according not only to her need and her desire, but also according to the spirit of God's law, but not the letter. See, what's interesting here, is that he technically is not the right person to fulfill this role. And if he was a man of lesser character, he could have done like Tamar's brother-in-law had done. But because he's a man of good character, he approaches her in a godly way. He approaches her according to her status as being someone who is in a position of weakness and the calling he has to be just. And so instead of serving himself, he considers her more important than himself. And what he does is he lets her know, I can't do anything right now. It would be inappropriate for me to do anything any of these options. (laughs) He is saying it would be inappropriate for me, but I will take the steps in the morning to pursue what not only you want, but what I know your mother-in-law wants and what I want. And so as a man of character, he restrains himself. And then, once again, he protects her And he provides for her. He protects her in terms of giving her shelter there for the rest of the night in safety to make sure that she wasn't taken advantage of by trying to leave in the middle of night and also protecting her reputation that she wouldn't get mistaken for being a prostitute. And he provides for her this amazing gift of about 20 to 25 pounds of barley seed. 
And he gives it to her, and it is, it is a, a provision for her once again as a, as a gift from him uh, to help take care of her and her mother-in-law. It is protection for her because it gives her the appearance of being a worker who, who is in the midst of working instead of the other situation. But it is so much more than that. Because what Boaz is recognizing and what he is promising to, to Ruth there uh, at the threshing floor and through the, prom- the gift of the seed, which is a promise of a secured future, he is making a statement to Naomi. You said that you came back empty. And the Lord is filling you. You wanted a home for your daughter-in-law. And a home will be provided. You're looking for seed to replace your husband and your son. And though I didn't go about that this evening, this is a down payment and a promise that I am willing to provide that seed when it is appropriate to do so. How easy is it for us, beloved, when we get scared about our future, when we get scared, whether it's about our personal future, whether it's scared about the future of the ministry of this church, whether if we're scared about the future ministry of the church, um, as many uh, as we have been talking about have been growing in fear here in America because things seem to be a little tougher. How easy is it when we get caught up in fear to try to strategize and to try to go about getting God's blessing but doing it through ways that don't fit what he has said. And yet, as we see here, that even when we get tempted to do things that way, God is already several steps ahead of us. Already providing us not only the promises but giving us down payments of his promises as we wait for him to provide the fulfillment. Beloved, the the seed that Elimelech needs, the the seed that Malan needs, the seed that Israel needs is a seed that will be born in this righteous union that is coming between Boaz and his bride, a seed that will lead to the royal throne of David established and the seed that will be David's greater son sitting on the throne of God forevermore. And when we get tempted to think that, that, that God isn't paying attention or God isn't moving fast enough and that we are trying to go about things and, 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 and pursue his blessing and to see him work when it is so easy to try to goad him and to, and, and to try to poke him and to try to get him to move faster because we're getting impatient. How easy when, it is, when we are doing that, how much easier is it to take a step back and to look at all the seeds that have come from Eve, leading to the ultimate seed that came from Mary. 
Beloved, God is more concerned about accomplishing his plans of a secure future and salvation for his people. And he has been providing down payments of seed after seed after seed after seed after seed. Not because we are worthy and not because we wait well, but that even in our impatience, even in our weakness of faith, even in our plotting and strategizing, God is being faithful to fulfill what he has said and to give us signs along the way in order for us to latch hold of these many fulfillments that are pointing to the ultimate fulfillment that is yet to come. This Advent season, let us, as we reflect upon the birth of Jesus Christ, reflect not just upon Jesus as that promised seed of Genesis 3.15, but all the seeds that are part of Jesus' lineage that God protected, that God provided, that God showed us throughout millennia in order to help us see that he is the God of Chesed, of loyal, faithful, covenant love. And we are to give ourselves fully to him day after day as we seek to embody him and to extend his presence, his provisions, and his protections to sinners throughout this world that they too might find shelter under the wings of our God. This Advent season, worship and celebrate, reflect, and be renewed in your trust and in your service. Because God has secured it, and he who has united us to his Son, who gave up glory for a time, humbled himself, and considered others more important than himself, humbling himself even to the point of death, even death on the cross. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you not, not only that you make promises, but that you secure your promises. We praise you that you not only want good things for us, but that you secure those good things for us. We, we, we praise you, Lord, that you don't just do this out of some sense of, of duty, but out of the joy and the, the happiness that it brings you and that you want us to experience in you. And so, Lord, help us this week as we go forth from this place and we'll be tempted so many times and in so many different ways to, to pursue your blessing apart from you, to, to pursue what you have promised while, while cutting you out of the process, pursuing what you want for us, but, but doing so through our own strength, or our own ideas. Lord, bring these things to our remembrance this week, that we may pause and that we may repent, but also that we might be renewed in an active trust that as we pursue the, the, the blessings, that we do so not only in prayer, but in taking steps that are according to what you have revealed. Lord, help us not to be lazy, 
but also help us not to strive through our own strength and machinations. Instead, Lord, fill us once again with who we are in Christ, that we may trust him, walk in his ways, pursue all that you have told us to do as we leave the results in your hands. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.